good. Bow your heads with me. Father God, as we dive, continue to dive into the material and we explore um, a generation that is very different um, than many of us have grown up in, um, Lord, that I ask that you give us insight, wisdom, um, and clarity um, with how to reach them with the gospel. In your son's name, amen. Um, morning, Shirley. Good morning. The title of the class is Uploading iGen, How Technology Has Changed the Generation and How Can We Respond with the Gospel. Um, and I'm going to kind of review a little bit of what we talked about last week so you can kind of remember. Um, the original hypothesis that I had in the class two years ago has changed slightly. And um, it's changed to this. Technology is a tool, and tools inherently help us do things better. Uh, that's clearly the case. Tools can have far-reaching impact on society, and society typically takes several generations to make a tool safe. Therefore, whatever is already happening in the home is magnified by the use of technology. Um, so... We're still trying to figure out in the home how to deal with it um, and how do we uh, raise our children in a technolo- technologically kind of savvy way. And that's made even harder because none of you grew up with iPhones, right? So you don't know. Except I didn't have this as a kid, so how do I measure this as an adult? Um, you all are digital uh, immigrants. You're not digital natives um, like iGen is. Um, so you're trying to catch up as they are already ahead of you. Um, the big concept that I just want to remind people of is the balancing act between risk and safety, because this is going to be an overarching theme as we uh, have discussions over this six weeks. Um, teenagers, uh, by um, both where they are in brain development, and that probably has a lot to do with it, um, take risks more than uh, the rest of the population. Um, they are more prone for injury and for dangerous experimentation and everything else because, well, Probably brain development. Uh, let's just be real. Um, and so, and know that, like, know that, boys and girls. Like, I don't take that as a slight. It's just where you are, like, as you are developing. So that's why I say hang out with adults because they can tell you, no, that's stupid. Um, the school of hard knocks is expensive. Um, so you're welcome to attend, uh, but um, you might be paying for it for a while. Um, and this is the first generation where risk is. Um, seems to be very much adverse. Um, they were raised by parents, we talked about it last time, they grew up on Unsolved Mysteries on Friday nights, um, where it was all about the, the kidnapped kid and, um, you know, this one murder. I mean, it's just, right, it's all about the fear. Um, so even though we live in a culture where violent crime is drastically reduced, kidnapping, running away, all these things have, have dropped, um, it's more heightened uh, because, um, well, we, the news has to have something to talk about, Right. Um, and we'll talk about a little bit about that today, uh, how the news influences us. Um, so this risk for safety, right? And so risk is good because it helps us be independent. If you're not taking risks, then you're not learning how to make self-decisions, if you remember. So that is the balancing act, right? Um, we looked at the adulthood versus childhood statistics, um, and we talked about how uh, the generation is growing up more slowly. A lot of these are good, right? Um, like, it's, I think it's probably good um, that uh, teen uh, alcohol drinking and sex is dropped. Um, but these are typically adult um, behaviors. And so almost all the adult behaviors uh, are down. Um, and it's led to this idea. And I think it started with millennials. Um, that's really where you begin to see this trans. Maybe, maybe I, I was thinking about this last night. Maybe I say this simply because I am a millennial. 
right? So maybe you Gen Xers are like, no, I don't think this was the case. And maybe even the boomers in the class are like, no, we were just as um, ridiculous as teenagers too. Um, but this is the idea that adolescence is now an extension of childhood rather than the beginning of adulthood. Um, and it's led to anxiety as students, as teenagers move into adulthood because they don't know how to make independent and risky decisions, right? Um, and so the question becomes, um, are they on a leash, right? Like, are our teenagers on a leash? Um, are, or are teens willing participants and growing up more slowly? Or are parents strong-arming them into it? Like, that's the, that's the question we have to ask. It would be easy to imagine teens chafing against being treated like children. Like, I remember that. I can't tell you how many arguments I had with my parents as a teenager. Like, stop treating me like a kid. Like, that came out of my life, my mouth a lot. And that was the, the probably the basis of most of my arguments with my parents. Sometime between 16, 17, and, and 27. Right? Like, um, <laughs> there's this battle that goes on. Um, but if growing up slowly is a natural adaptation of the culture, um, teenagers might be willing to go along with it. Um, and the fact is, I think, they are. Um, parents today, and we're going to see this here, this is percentage of 8th to 10th graders whose parents always know where they are and whom they will be with when they go out at night. And so that has gone up since 1999. Um, and, and let me, so, so parents today are more likely to know where their kids are. A lot of this is thanks to tracking apps, right? And like, thanks, thanks for the phone, right? Like, I can know where you're at at all times. Um, and according to students who they are with, um, oh, sorry, so the tracking apps can tell you where they're at, but they can't tell you where they're, who they're with. And when students are asked, do your parents know who you are with, um, that question, they're actually more likely to say, yes, my parents also know who I am with. Um, so it's an increase on knowing where they're at and who they're with. And that's the students who are answering that question, not the parents who are answering that question, do you know who's with your child? Um, so they're much more willing to tell you, yeah, this is where I'm going, who I'm with. Um, and historically, teens would be very opposed to this, right? Most of the adults in the room remember being grilled by their parents on where are you going, where have you been, who will be at the party, right? Like, that was a lot of my teenage experience, too. Like, what parent's going to be there? Who's going to be in charge? Uh, I don't like that kid. Is that gonna, kid going to be at the party? Like, it was all these type of questions, right? Um, but nowadays, uh, teenagers seem much more willing to be like, yeah, they're going to be there, they're going to be there, they're going to be there. And, but because today's teens are different. Even with parents having more oversight into their lives, uh, teenagers are happier with it. So it's, it's interesting compared to other generations. Teens today are less likely to have conflict with mom and dad. The number who had a serious fight with their parents... Um, more than three times a year fell from 66% in 2005 to 56% in 2015. So it's dropped by about 10%. Um, Twin states, so iGen is not only kept on a tighter leash by their parents, but also fight with them less, bucking the boomer and Gen X assumption that teens will automatically battle parent restrictions. iGen teens and parents are on the same page a lot of the time, a page of growing up more slowly. It's why I think the adult has now become a verb within iGen. Um, if you want to find um, some uh, sad and maybe funny tweets, um, just um, search on Twitter the hashtag adulting. Um, it's, it's quite 
sad at times and, and funny at the others, but adulting is the new verb, and it isn't a positive one, right? Like, ah, oh, I got my first bill, hashtag adulting, right? Um, oh, I got my first, you know, um, jury duty summings, hashtag adulting. Like, all these things are... Um, I have to, you know, I'm responsible for my own time, hashtag adulting, right? Like all these things, it's, it's, it's a verb that's come up on the internet, but it's not positive. Um, previous generations hated being kids, and now you have a generation that doesn't want to grow up. Like that's the main difference. They, they value, man, I love being a kid, because I didn't have to worry about anything. Like those are things that are spoken of on the internets. And I call it the internets just to bother IJET, right? I know it's not called that. Um, so in the book, iGen, almost every teenager interviewed said why being a child was better than being an adult. Almost all said that being an adult involved too much responsibility. That was the main reason when they were asked that question. Cell phones have made it easier for parents to take care of their college-age students, too. Um, parents can register children for classes, remind them of deadlines, and wake them up for class thanks to the cell phone once they go to college. And while um, I think most of our generations in here would be absolutely mortified if my mom was making me up to make sure I made my 8 a.m. Spanish class, um, this generation is grateful. So it's, it's see how the change and the shift? Um, so that's kind of what we talked about last week. This is kind of the changes in the way that they interact with the culture. And, and now we're going to kind of get into, well, what is iGen doing with their time? They, we know they have more free time. Um, we know that they are um, less likely to work. Um, they have um, less homework. Um, they do less extracurricular activities and stuff like that. Like, what are they doing with their time, right? Um, so if teens are working less, spending less time on homework, going out less, drinking less, what are they doing? Um, well, the title of the, um, the whole series might have given that away, um, but um, what are they doing with the time? Um, well, they are, they are on their iPhones. Um, that's what they're doing with their time. It's, it's the statistics, right? Um, iGen High School Seniors. So iGen High School Seniors. Let me drink this coffee. And leave you in suspense. Sorry, that was a very Ryan Seacrest moment. I apologize. Um, and I'll tell you after the break. Ijun High School seniors spend an average of two and a quarter hours a day texting on their cell phone. About two hours a day on the internet, one and a half hours a day on electronic gaming, and about a half hour on video chat in the most recent survey. That totals to six hours a day with new me- media. And that's just during their leisure time, right? This is what we're asking, what are you doing during your leisure time? Eighth graders, still in middle school, were not far behind, spending an hour and a half a day texting, hour and a half a day online, hour and a half on day gaming, and about a half an hour on video chat, a total of five hours on new media. So um, middle school, about five hours on new media, um, iGen, graduating high school seniors, six hour and a half hours a day. Um, so, well, if you're doing the math in your head, right, um, you can kind of see with this chart. Um, the average senior spends 17 hours a day school, sleeping, homework, and extracurricular activities. That's what makes up the average senior's life. Okay? That leaves seven hours left to fill if you know anything about time. So six of these are on new media. So what are they doing with the other one hour, right? Well, the average senior spends two hours a day watching TV, too. 
Uh, I know that's more than 24 hours in a day, um, which is freaking out some of you. How are they beating time? Um, but iGen, one of the things that they are amazing at doing is multitasking. Um, they do it better than you. Um, and by better than you, I mean like drastically better than you. Like the data out on um, the ability um, for uh, teenagers to multitask is, I mean, it really has. It's rewired their brain, right? Now, that doesn't mean, now let me say this with multitasking. They, iGen is better at doing two tasks at the same time than you are. But the rest of the generations are all better at doing one task um, at one single time than an iGen is, because an iGen is more likely to be distracted because they're not doing two things at the same time. It's harder for them to, what we call super focus, right, on one thing. Okay? Um, Again, they're very good at that. We'll come back to this in the future about, well, how are they getting more time in? Because that's the average, right? Like, this is the average. That means over half of them are spending much more time on new media than just six hours a day, right? So what are they losing? What are they missing? And we're going to find that they are sleeping less, too. Um, And if you know anything about brain development with a teenager, um, sleep is kind of important, right? Um, It's why most high schools in the past decade have pushed back the starting time of high school so that teenagers can sleep more. I started high school at 7.20 in the morning when I was going to high school. Um, And most high schools now start at 9. So I wasn't awake for first period. I mean, I just wasn't. Um, Coffee was my best friend as a 15-year-old until I got through first period. Uh, And it was my Ritalin, too. It made me normal the rest of the day. My crash was everyone else's normal. Um, So that function of that. Um, so this is the social media slide. I just thought that was funny. Social media explained. Twitter, I am eating a donut. Facebook, I like donuts. Foursquare, this is where I eat donuts. Instagram, here's a vintage photo of my donut. YouTube, watch me eating a donut or unboxing a donut, right? Um, LinkedIn, my skills include donut eating. Pinterest, here's a donut recipe. Last FM, now listening to Donuts. And then Google Plus, which just everyone makes fun of. I'm a Google employee who eats donuts. Because um, the only people who use Google Plus are Google employees. Um, so we can make fun of them. Yeah, I know they are just continuing it because, well, no one else was using that. Uh, it'll just become their internal platform. Um, the main social media used by teens is Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay, So that is the focal point of teens' lives. They use those three. They're most likely to use those three. Um, Okay, so for those of you that don't know what those things are, let me. <laughs> I realize now that I'm sitting here, I'm like, some of you might not know what those are. So, Snapchat is a um, feature to where you can chat with somebody, but it's gone in a snap, right? Like after someone reads it, it disappears. Okay, so it's, it doesn't essentially hold it. Snapchat has said they don't retain any of the chats of their members, right? Um, and that's typically one-on-one. Um, I think I think there are group settings, but I know there are group settings, but um, Instagram, that's photos. Um, Instagram stories are huge, right? Like follow my adventure, um, link them up. Um, and then Twitter. Um, Twitter is, it can be used. It's People just put random thoughts on there. It has a limit on word characters, and we'll talk about that effect on the um, human brain here momentarily. Um, Twitter is also used a lot by adults. Um, it's just used differently. Tw- um, Twitter used by adults is typically to ascertain new 
they, they ascertain news from Twitter. So they'll go on their Twitter feed and pull off different articles that have popped up in the day because they're linked into different um, websites on Twitter. Um, so social media, and mind you, it's new. Remember how we talked about the car last time and how like we're still trying to figure out safety features? Like When the car was first invented, it was six years until the first stop sign. Um, it was a why. It was decades before a seatbelt. Um, the three-port harness was 40 years after. Um, the child seat was 40 years after. I mean, we don't know how any of you are alive if you, if you lived before 1960, right? Like, um, laws, like, we were, they were just learning. It's a new tool, and it takes about a generation for people to realize, oh, we need to add this to change it to make it safe. Um, and so social media is brand new. Social media is less than a decade old um, outside of Facebook. Um, and Facebook is not one of the ones that the teens are using for the most part. So for teens, social media is under a decade old. Um, so that's why it starts in kind of 2008 um, with students. And the reason the jump up in 2011 is on Facebook. That's when Facebook said, yes, you don't need an EDU address to access our platform. Um, so you can jump on there too if you're a teenager um, or an adult, right? Um, maybe that was 2009. I'm blanking. It was 2000. I think it's 2009. That's why I'm So it's jumped drastically. This is especially true for girls. Um, 87% of 12th grade girls use social media sites every day, um, compared to every day in 2015, compared to 77% of boys. Um, and that's the latest um, data. Some of the new data says it's even more. It's there. The new data is not saying how much, if you actually use it once a day, it's how many times per day. Um, that's the questions that they're asking. Um, so what are they using it for? And this is where we're going to begin to have the conversation, right? Like, what is the purpose of social media? What are they using it for? What are some of the dangers? Um, so, um, oh, that's the next one. I'll keep it here. Okay. Um, so here are the three, three ways they're using it for, and I'm going to... Start with a positive one, move to a negative one, and jump back to a positive and negative one. Okay? Um, they are using it for connection. Okay? Many people use Snapchat to figure out when are we going to hang out next. Okay? Um, they'll use Snapchat the way, you know, if I was struggling with homework, which happened a lot in high school, and I needed help, I'd call a friend, right? Like, okay, you know, Jenny was my go-to for Spanglish. Um, which I still failed, so maybe I should call somebody else. Um, but, like, um, I needed help in that, so I'd call Jenny up, right? Like, okay, I'm on this one. What are they talking about? I haven't got a clue, right? Um, nowadays, they just Snapchat, and that's the easiest way to do it, and it's a quick feature on the phone. It doesn't need to be the process of face-to-face communication. You're just literally typing it in. Um, and some platforms, you can talk speak, right? Like, so you can do those things really quick. And then... Um, it's just less invasive. Students find it less invasive than an actual um, FaceTime or something like that. So it is used for affirmation mostly. Um, if you think about all these, it's Snapchat at some of it, but it's, it's mostly on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you have the like feature on these. Um, so I'm really trying to okay for people that don't know how to use this. Um, so on Twitter or Instagram, if you post something, people can like it. And um, that means, yeah, um, I agree with you, right? Um, or I like your picture, which is on Instagram, right? Now, they've changed the feature in the last three years. It used to be a check mark. Now it's a heart. So you just don't like someone's thing. You love it, right? 
And they found that that actually creates a higher dopamine um, kind of reaction in the brain, right? Because that's what they want to do. They want to hook you using dopamine hooks. Um, so it, it goes to um, affirmation. It's the same thing that addicts get um, when they get a rush. They get this kind of dopamine circuit that's um, linked in their brain. And, and that's what it does. It, it creates connection and affirmation. Now, what happens if they don't like my post, right? So that's the inverse. Um, and bullying happens on these platforms. Um, Snapchat is probably the highest bullying platform. Um, Yik Yak, it was the highest until they removed that. Um, Yik Yak was Snapchat, except it was a group forum on a college um, campus. Um, so it was just on the college campus, so everyone had access to these posts, and they would be gone. Um, within like a half hour, an hour, and it just turned into this bullying platform. I mean, it was awful. I mean, if you look at the history of Yik Yak, it's disgusting. Um, but Snapchat, um, bullying happens because, again, no one's going to see it outside that person and that doesn't keep your history, unless someone takes a screenshot of their phone, which some people can do. Um, well, everyone can do, but some people choose to do, other people don't. Um, so, and the reason... Bullying is easy there is because you don't have the face-to-face -face, like effect, right? Um, well, I'm not, I'm not saying it to your face. Uh, I'm just saying it to you. So there's this extra level of uh, lack of empathy. Um, so it's more readily to, to happen. But that's the major platform that bullying happens. That is what I call active bullying. Passive bullying, passive bullying um, takes place when... Um, this happens especially with like groups of girls, right? Like, let's say that a bunch of girls go out on a Friday night and they intentionally didn't invite one of their friends. And what do they do? They post tons of pictures um, to make sure that they see it and that they're not included, right? Stuff like that. Um, and so that becomes passive bullying. And then the other way that passive bullying happens is that I will just no longer like any of your photos or your comments or anything like that, right? Um, and that is actually a way, I mean, when they ask the students what's a way that, you know, um, that you are hurt by your friends on these platforms, those are the things that they're saying, right? Um, so that's the kind of passive bullying. Um, and passive bullying is, is um, much more common with a generation that doesn't like risk. If you're all about safety and not about confrontation, and we're going to see that here, they don't know how to confront people face-to-face, uh, -face, um, then Passivity is the best way to injure somebody, uh, which doesn't help. Okay, so that's again number one is connection. That's what they're using it for. That's good. Bullying can happen, um, and then third, and I think this is a good one, right? I think it, this is pretty good. This is their expressing of independence, right? Um, this is their way that they express independence. Is it's their platform? It's their person. Um, it's their friends, it's their life story, right? And everyone wants, everyone's interested in creating a story for their life, right? And um, we all talk about that. Um, that's been around since we were telling stories around, you know, the fires as, um, as ancient people. Um, but this is just their way of doing it. And then they want to be affirmed in it too. And that's where it begins to potentially take a, a hazardous dive. Um, but, um, and that's too why I think... Snapchat, I think independence also takes place in Snapchat, because my parents are never going to see it, right? It disappears um, after the person reads it, so it's an easy way to kind of 
um, hide conversations. So what you and me used to do as teenagers, where we'd go hang out with our friends down the street and have conversations behind our parents' back, or um, some of you were using tin cans and, and wires, um, you know, <laughs> with your friend down the street. Um, you know, that's what we used to do, right? Um, we used to hang out with our friends and, and talk about things that we didn't want our parents to hear. And now they just do it on Snapchat. So it just makes it easier and more convenient. Um, and there's no record. And record is really important, as we're going to see in our next slide. Um, I mean, if you've been watching the news, right? Um, if you posted something 15, 20 years ago on social media that now people today don't like, you can still lose your job and be roasted over it, right? Um, you know, Kevin Hart made a joke 10 years ago on his um, uh, platform about... Um, not wanting his son to be gay, right? Um, and he lost the ability to host the Oscars this year because, uh, um, you know, the LBGT block uh, made sure that, um, no, we don't want that because he said something a decade ago. Um, and even if he comes out and apologizes, it doesn't mean anything because, well, it's on the Internet, which means it's true still. Um, so we see that with, you know, you saw the um, uh, every, every judge hearing, you know, for the next lifetime will include a... Um, and scanning through their old tweets and social media to try to um, find a headpiece by the other side that opposes that person. Um, politics will very much revolve around the second self. Um, for the agent in the room, your whole lifetime. Um, this will just be how it's determined. Um, and this has led to like um, fear in the school, because if you say something stupid at school, or you say something, like you do something crazy, it's there's a high likelihood that someone is filming it and then posting it online, right? So it can potentially damage your second self. Um, so it has become a manicured second self. So this is what I mean by a second self. When adolescents are growing up, they are developing their first self, who they are. The teenagers are right for that. Brain development, independence, risk for safety, these are the things that are happening. Nowadays, they're not only worried about their first self, who they are, they're also worried about their second self, so the image that they betray online, and that creates additional anxieties and stresses back on the first self because they want to make sure that their life looks manicured to the rest of the population. Because if it doesn't, then that means your life sucks and you probably shouldn't be hung out with. Like, no one posts like um, pictures of them going shopping with their friends and, and, and posting all the dresses that they look awful in online, right? Like, unless they want to be seen as a comedian. Right? And then, yeah, I'll post all these ridiculous things all day. Um, but they want to make sure that it's a manicured self. Uh, and the, what makes it even worse is now the filter features on these things. So if you have Instagram or if you have anything that uses photos, there are filter features at the Wazoo. You can literally download apps to edit photos um, on um, Instagram and other things that you're going to post to, that do the same thing the magazines do, right? Like tuck in the sides and make certain portions of the body look bigger or smaller or um, add lipstick or mascara to, to blush. Like, you can do that all on your phone. Um, there was one study that was really interesting and sad. But the number of... Uh, they talked to... Um, what is the name of the doctor um, that does... Uh, body shaping and, and uh, changes. Plastic surgeons. They talk to plastic surgeons. And the number of the people that have come in in the last really seven years who have pulled up a picture on their Instagram, right? And it's been shaped and whatever by whatever like products they're using or, or filters they're using to say, 
I want to look like this, right? So their second self is informing their first self. And so when they look, when they look on their manicured self on Instagram and then they look at themselves in the mirror at night, what do you think that what do you think is happening? You think it's creating positive self-image or negative self-image? Yeah. Like any any anybody could tell you that, right? Like I bet my six-year-old son could probably like figure that out if I explain that to him. Of course it's gonna create a negative self-image. But this is a generation that does this like professionally. Like they all are magazine editors. And it's just the magazine of self, right? It is it is self magazine that they're publishing online every day. And it's their second self that really needs to feel manicured. Um, so and think about it, second selves are the most manicured pictures of people they can maintain. If you go on any Facebook, you know, website, even us as adults, I don't post bad pictures of me. I untag myself if there's a bad picture of me, right? Because um, for I don't want people to see that. Um, so then you start playing the compare game too. Well, their, their life is so much better than mine, right? This is a picture of their whole happy family. How do they get all three of their kids to smile at the same time, right? Like I always got one screamer. Like how do they do that? Gosh. I'm an awful parent. Like, they, they can do things that I can never do, right? So it's immediately this, you know, um, breaking the Tenth Commandment covetousness that comes up in the midst. And that's for adults. Imagine that for someone whose um, mind is still developing as a teenager and they don't know how to comply. They're not confident in who they are yet, right? Um, teenagers are the least confident people group um, simply because of where they are in development. Um, so, okay. Um, yeah, I kind of covered everything there. Um, again, then the second cell, I think uh, the other reason that Snapchat is the, the most popular, again, do you see how the risk and comfort happen on social media too? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable posting this picture. I don't want to risk this. Um, so it's, again, manicured. So it's very much, how can I be safe? Um, and I, I really think that's why Snapchat is the most popular teenage app, because there's no risk. It disappears, right? So it's interesting, right? Because they feel most vulnerable on that app, because they can be the most vulnerable on that app. It's so, it's so interesting. Like, it's, like, I have a love-hate relationship with that app, right? Because they, they'll, they can say whatever they want. Awesome! I'm getting inside. I'm getting a peer, peek inside a teenager's soul. This is a good thing, right? But they're more likely to say it on that because they know it won't exist the next day for someone to see. Some of that's good, right? Like we want them taking risks and asking hard questions. Hopefully, with us as their parents. But if it's with somebody else, great. At least they're thinking about it. Um, but at the same time, again, that's where the most bullying happens is on the same app. So it's like, oh, um, I'll, I, I'm going to cover this next one really in brief because it's a whole different conversation. But everyone, I always get asked this question. And we have to ask about video games, right? Um, so I'm addressing it, again, because it's, the question is asked a lot. So on all our other graphs, you've had constant shifts, right? Like there's a movement somewhere when it comes to... Um, Team driving, team work rate, SAT scores, like there's there's clear movement. And when it comes to video games, it's interesting. It's it's what's called a bimodal distribution on the graphs. 
And what that means is you have a large segment of the population that doesn't struggle with this at all. And then you have a small segment of the population that struggles with it um, drastically. Um, so it's, it's really kind of like two separate groups we're talking about. Um, so in 2015, 27% of teens say they play video games less than an hour a week. So you got a quarter of the population that like barely touches it, right? Um, and 9%, which is still a lot. I mean, think about it. Nine out of every 100 teenagers say they play it more than 40 hours a week. So that is more than a full-time job, right? And those are the people that like you do very much begin to worry about, and there, there are issues that happen with that, right? Um, so... Overall, both boys and girls are spending much more time online and with electronic devices than they were six years ago. Um, for guys, the guys are much more likely to fall into this category um, of the 9% that spend 40 hours a week or more. Okay? And then um, the last kind of thing, what are they doing with their time? And this is what we want, right? This is, are they reading books? Uh, and <laughs> No. No. Uh, so let me explain some of the statistics here. This is one category that has measurable, think about it, and it has measurable long-term impact because reading has been around the longest compared to all these other things. So when we look at the reading records, we can go back all the way to the beginning of these um, statistics, which began to take place in the 1950s, right? Um, with video game stuff and with social media, we're, we can only peek back a decade. So we're still trying to get a grasp on it. But, so reading can really tell us a lot when it comes to between generations. And what's interesting about reading is that we know from the um, studies that this has the biggest measurable impact on an adult's life, right? So reading for pleasure is tied to adult happiness, a level of jobs as an adult, income levels as an adult, um, empathy, test scores in high school and in college, and spiritual growth. Like, these are, these are the positives across the board, right? And we all know this, okay? Even high schoolers are told this in their English class. English teachers plead with their students, read, this is, like, literally good for you, right? But they're not. Um, we're going to end here today in the next five minutes because this is the much, in my mind, the much larger conversation. This is one of the first things that what, if you're thinking, what can I do as a parent or what can I do as a grandparent to help my students in the midst of this iGen generation, it is cultivating a love and an opportunity for reading that will have great long-term impact on iGen. So if you're an iGen in this room and you're not good at reading, this is something that you need to get better at. And luckily, because your brain is so malleable, you actually can get better at um, even if you don't like it today, that doesn't mean that a year from now you won't like it. Again, the brain is malleable. It's beautiful. I mean, you just need to find something that you like, right? Um, I read the story about one kid in one of the books I was reading. And he just didn't like reading, but he loved um, sailing and he loved boating. So the, the parents got him a, a book on sailing around the world, right? And that kid devoured the book. It was just something that he needed to find that he was interested in. There was one kid, right, that was obsessed with video games, okay? So how can I get my kid that's obsessed with video games to read? Um, well, they got him a book about, guess what? Video games, right? So, like, he dove into that book, and, like, suddenly, you know, he was a World of Warcraft addict, and suddenly he's reading all the World of Warcraft books. And that was a launching point for him to be able to digest other texts. Hey, there's another book here that's a lot like, you know, it's a fantasy novel, 
dive into that. It's much like World of Warcraft, and it began that kind of journey to reading. So for, for teenagers, it's developing this, okay? Um, so reading has taken a huge hit, as we're going to see at the graph here, right? Um, in the late 1970s, the clear majority of teens read a book or magazine nearly every day, okay? By 2015, only 16% dead, Okay? In other words, three times as many boomers as iGeners read a book or a magazine every day. So, and this is interesting. Because of the survey question written in the 1970s, before e-readers existed, it does not specify the format of the book or the magazine. So iGeners are still answering that with the idea that they have internet magazines that they access, they have internet books that they can access, and they're still only saying 16%, Okay. So e-book readers, luckily we see a brief bump, whoop, okay, um, did briefly rescue books. Uh, the number who said they read two or more books for pleasure in the last year bounced back in the late 2000s. But then it sank again as iGen and the smartphone into the scene in 2010s. By 2015, one out of three high school seniors admitted that they had not read any books for pleasure in the past year. Three times as many as 1976. Okay? Even college students entering four-year universities. And the reason this is important is because they are the segment of the population that is most likely to read. Okay? These young people presumably most likely to read are reading less. Why, why don't they read? Um, we briefly talked, and I, oh gosh, I just want to make sure I'm treating your time right, and i got to keep remembering that that clock's fast. Um, brain development, Right? So when you are interacting with social media platforms, it's a dopamine hit to the side of your brain that focuses on pleasure centers. Okay? So when you create a circuit with that dopamine hit, and you do it regularly, it just strengthens the circuit. Much like an addict. If you, if you interact with addicts, it's the same type of thing. Um, whether it's an alcohol addict, whether it's a porn addiction, whether it's cocaine, right? Like it's all the same type of wiring on the pleasure centers of your brain that get thicker, they crave more of it, okay, like an addiction, um, but it hits the same centers, right? Um, and so I think that's why social media has continued to do well and rise, because the people who do social media know this, right? Like, this is what they're shooting for. Um, so there's that. Um, uh, when I go on trips with your students and I say, don't bring your cell phones, there is literally a 24-hour detox that takes place. Okay? Um, in Colorado, I saw it most broadly two years ago, last time I went, right? Like, in years past, they're talking the whole way up, right? They're sharing music, they're doing fun things. And then I said, lads, we're going to cut the social media out. They didn't know what to do for the first, like, six, seven hours of the trip, right? Like, um... Okay. Like, like they'll have conversations, but they're super, super, they're very superficial, and and they don't last more than half hour, forty five minutes because they don't know what to do with long term conversation over time. Um, that's why I remove it so you they learn how to. Um, and they're bored, right? No one's bored anymore. This boredom is wonderful for brain development. Um, that's why kids should be bored. Um, it is good. They they ask the hard questions of life. Um, they replay conversations in their head and, and think about risk versus safety. I wish I had done this better. I wish I hadn't done this better. Um, so boredom's good for kids, but they're never bored anymore because the moment they're bored, they just click something, right? 
clickety click click click. No. Oh, now I, I have this score on Candy Crush or whatever. Um, so, social media feeds the pleasure centers of the brain that is also the same ones that deal with addiction. Um, but then on the other side, right? Like, we all know the kids who are not the one more level kids. They're the one more chapter kids, right? And so, but this is what reading does. Reading works on the other side of the mind. Reading the logic side of your mind the side that deals with empathy, the sides that um, connects large meta-concepts together. When you are reading and you're, and you're building that circuit, um, it can also become an addiction. It can become a good, a good dopamine addiction because it is building different levels in the brain. Um, that's still the case with adults, okay? So just because you're an older adult in the room doesn't mean that you can't start a love for reading now. You just have to build that muscle. For teenagers, it's actually easier for you because your brains are in like like super drive as you're developing. You're at one of these key areas of your life that like your brain is doing things that are awesome, right? You can really kind of shape your brain as it is for positive or negative. Um, so it's really easy to begin to develop that. Um, so... Um, these type of distinctions um, of how do we interact logically and how do we interact on kind of a dopamine level have been around for a while. Um, it's a famous book. It's called Amusing Yourself to Death by Neil Postman. It came out in 1985. Um, really began to deal with 24-hour news cycle, right? Because the 24-hour news cycle shifted the way that we do news. It became entertainment more than it became actual news, right? And that's where the shift happened. And news centers do this. They play to the pleasure center side of your brain more than they do the logic side of your brain. They do that. And there's a great TED Talk by a guy named Eric Bischoff. Um, who, anyone, anyone follow wrestling in the room? No? Professionalized? I have like a fascination with it. Um, because I feel like so much of what happens on the wrestling ring also happens in the news arena, right? And he, he's a former wrestling promoter. And he says the exact same things that news channels are doing are the same things that we did in the wrestling ring, which is if you're a wrestler, we don't care if you like us or hate us. We just want you to feel something. Like if you boo us for 20 years royally, man, I've done my job. Awesome, right? And it's the same thing with political commentators. It doesn't matter if you're on MSNBC or Fox News, right? Like the two ends of the spectrum. Like they want to hit your pleasure centers and not focus on your logic centers. Um, so that's why the segments are shorter. Um, it's not long-form conversation. It's moving really quickly from one thing to the other. So you get your sound bite in, right? Um, so this is the world that we've grown up in. And now it's just been greater, right, because of this generation um, and what they're doing. Um, so I would encourage you, when it comes to reading, if you are a student, dive in more. Um, again, reading benefits, SAT scores, empathy levels better employment in adulthood, higher pay, and happier. Let me finish with this. Reading benefits spiritually. Um, the number one indicator of whether a teenager will keep the faith into adulthood is how much time they spend in the Word. That's the Lifeway research, right? It's the number one indicator. And so what is so hard for iGen is that we are a people of the book. Historically, that's what we're called. We're a people of the book, right? And now we're reaching a culture that doesn't know what a book is. And so it is, it's a really hard jump. The distance between a love for scripture and a typical iGen, the canyon has become wider. And so that's the, I mean, as someone who works with this generation, this is the, 
I'm constantly, this is why we spend so much time in scripture, right? Like at least at Yak. Like we want you to begin to develop a love for yearning for being in the word because this is, um, this is the number one indicator of it. Um, so, uh, what did I end with? Uh, and then we see this, Americans who don't read um, their Bible at all. Um, so more than half have not read it. So it's not just iGen. Um, but if, if we're going to be a people of the book, and you're dealing with, a, I mean, this is why there's so much heresy online now, right? Like, because no one's read the Bible. No one's read the Bible, right? Um, this is where we're at as a culture. So um, that's where we're at today. And I would just encourage you, if you're in here and you've got a kid, have these conversations with them. They are smart enough to handle these type of conversations. So what do you think it's doing to your brain? How do you think it's helping you interact with your friends and communicate with them? Um, what does Bible reading look like in your life? How can you develop that pattern? If you hate reading, like how can you begin to cultivate a love for it? Because um, that really, a love for, I can't say it, a love for reading, not a love for reading, but the need for reading is so important on a spiritual level, but also just a lifelong level. Um, it is so beneficial. Okay. Any questions? Catch you a little bit over. Next week, we're going to talk about how um, relationships work with iGen. Um, and then we're going to move into kind of a big topic of what are some lies the culture believes, and then um, deal with some of the solutions. What can we do?